You're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is the show for lawyers and law firm leaders. I'm your host, Ab. In each episode, I talk with technologists, key players, and experts to help you navigate the changing landscape that is the legal profession. If you're looking for strategies, learn about trending topics, and get updates from the experts, then this is the place for you. Let's get to it. And welcome to another episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. I am delighted to be joined today by Isabella Galino, whose name I may have butchered already. We'll see. Isabella is a legal innovation consultant. She runs the popular publication, The Technologist. She actually is the host of the Quirky Lawyer Podcast, a professor, a previous lawyer, and so many more things. Isabella, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure to be here. Awesome. Firstly, did I did I completely butcher your last name? It's just fine. <laughs> you know, I get so many different ways. In Spanish, we would say Galeano, but I've seen it pronounced in so many different ways, so we're good. I'm very glad I did not pretend to say it in Spanish. That would have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess probably a good place as any to start is, you know, you've had a very interesting, I think, background and how you got to where you are now. So would you mind just giving a, a short synopsis of, you know, what your story's been so far and what are you doing right now? Sure. So if I had to start at a certain point, you know, I had a very traditional beginning of my career. Actually, I graduated in Spain, in Barcelona, where I'm from originally in 2010. And I follow what was expected going to big law. I work at M&A and corporate departments for some years. I worked at two different law firms, you know, had exposure to a lot of international transactions. Then I also spent some time in-house working at Nike. And I realized that the more transactions I had, the more expertise I was getting, the better I was at being a lawyer, there was still a piece missing. You know, at the beginning, you might think, oh, it's because you're a junior lawyer. And then as you will progress in your career, you'll be able to make a greater impact. But I realized that I wanted something more. So that's when I decided, and that this was a couple of years ago, 2017, where I quit my firm where I was being a senior associate in the M&A department. I took a design thinking course, and then I moved to the U.S. and started an LLM where I tried to brought my mind and do stuff I wasn't doing ever before. So I took food law classes, fintech, drug law related classes. And there is when I realized there's this whole new world of legal technology and innovation that I had never literally heard about while I was a practicing lawyer. And I was like, man, I really have to share this knowledge to tell people back home and all over the place, whoever wants to listen to me, there are other ways of delivering legal services. Technology is being incorporated into the legal sector in ways I didn't even realize was possible. And that's when I started creating my podcast, mm. uh, The Quirky Lawyer. So that was so cool. It allowed me to meet a lot of people working in this space. I travel across the U.S., going to conferences, networking, meeting people. And then I realized that I needed to take that idea a step further 
So I created the technologies, which is basically a website media platform where I share written content. I have a little team working on there and uh, we aim to, you know, contribute and help and inspire in many ways lawyers across the globe and telling them what's going on in the industry, what legal tech is all about, how they can innovate their own practices. So these also led to working in projects and be doing such a like consultancy role mm-hmm. and helping people figure out how they can bring innovation down to their own practices. So this is a little bit of uh, the journey I've been walking through. And also along the whole time, I was teaching at university, so very much in contact with the younger generations that are studying and hearing what they care about, what they're hoping the legal industry is going to be like. So I've seen change from so many perspectives that right now I'm very glad to be able to share some of my insights with other lawyers. Awesome. And no doubt over the over the next couple of minutes or next 10, 15 minutes, we'll dive a lot deeper into that. Actually, so before we go into, you know, the changes that you're seeing and and all of the tangents surrounding that, if I can ask, so when you quit, when you quit your practice and, you know, you moved to the US, did the LLM and so on, I suppose two questions. One, you know, was that a scary move for you? Obviously, generally moving jobs and moving across countries is a big deal as it is, but I think it's probably made worse in most most professional services like like law firms. And second, was your goal to then go and I suppose go back into practicing law again? So let's let's talk about the first point. You know, was that a scary move for you quitting? It was. I think all lawyers were sort of geared toward being risk averse. And mm-hmm. part of my job during the last eight years had been to sort of calculate risks, right? See what could go wrong, search for the worst case scenarios and try to mitigate those risks in a contract. Mm-hmm. So obviously I run in my mind through <laughs> like all the possible situations, what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I kind of like, I think at the side of me was not aware of what I would be facing. And another side was, I know, I know what the life I'm having right now is going to offer. You know, I was a senior associate. I had three more years. Like I was on the edge of becoming a managing partner. I had three more years away from being able to run into partnership. And I realized this is not really the life I want to have. So the alternative to not making the change right now is just to stick with this. And I Mm. think when you put things into perspective, I also was about to turn 30. So I think maybe that's a point in your life where you're reflecting about what you've been doing. And it was scarier to (laughs) me to stay the same way as to change. Then when I came to the States and I realized like, oh my God, what (laughs) what have I done? It was, it got more scary as uh, I gained more perspective on the move. That's why I also decided to take the New York bar in case at any point I wanted to go back to practicing. But my whole idea, and this ties with your second question, is like when I quit, I was like, I don't think I want to go back Mm. to practicing, not at least the same way I was practicing until then. Like the traditional model and me, we were done. I had my fair share (laughs) of uh, the traditional way and I knew I had to do things differently. The Mm. other thing was I wasn't sure how. 
And it took me a long time to figure that how. That's why the LLM to me was very helpful because it gave me some time to understand what's going on. And I think a lot of what I'm doing now is also trying to help people figure out that how for them, because mm. I guess it's different for every person. But yeah, it. I mean, changing is always scary. Changing is always difficult, but the cost of not changing that's scarier to me at this point. And yeah, you may, I mean, you make it sound so logical and simple, but I'm sure in, you know, in the heat of it at the time, taking hindsight out of the equation, it was probably a very difficult thing. And even to process it when you move, when you move to the US, uh, even that would have been quite difficult. So I think, yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. And the reason I ask is I know plenty of lawyers and others that may want to switch and I think the thought process is certainly quite important as well to both give them the confidence and to give them the, I suppose, the tools and the principles to evaluate it, whether it's the right thing to do, because it may not be right for everyone. Sometimes it is a matter of, you know, things are a bit difficult and up and down, but it seems like, you know, you, you had a quite a bright path ahead of you and you made a very deliberate decision to say, actually, no, that's not the right way for me. And that's also sure. them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so since you've been helping people find, you know, what, what the motivations are for them and as you've been working with firms and projects and so on, what kind of, even in the last few years, what kind of transformations have you seen across the industry? And I think obviously, I mean, I'm a fan of your podcast and, you know, as you've spoken to a, a couple of dozen, a dozen people by now, what kinds of trends are you noticing? And, you know, this, the industry to me at least is moving so fast and it, it's sort of getting to that point where we are sort of on an exponential curve. So what's your perception of, you know, what's changing, what's to come? Sure. So there's one thing I want to point out, first of all, is like a lot of times, I don't know if you had this too, but people would tell me like, oh, law is so local. You can only make a local impact. You're limited by your jurisdiction and all that stuff. And yes, that part is true. But the challenges we're facing as lawyers, and it doesn't matter if you're in the US, in Mexico, in Singapore, all over the place, lawyers are facing the same kind of challenges. How do we make our practice more efficient? How do we reach our clients? How do we make access to justice better? How do we serve clients that are not being served right now? And what is very interesting to me is that more and more lawyers are realizing that there's these global challenges that we're facing. And for the first time, they're creating and we're creating solutions that can be applied across the board. So in that sense, I see a lot of international movements towards solving these global issues. And that's super interesting. And I think it's kind of like the first time it's happening in the legal industry, as opposed to any other industries where the incorporation of feedback and technologies and business impact from other parts of the world had been there for a longer time. There's also like a second thing I see that there's so much more room for creativity. I think since since the very beginning, I was never the traditional lawyer. I was, that's why my podcast is also called Quirky, because right. I never quite fit in. 
But right now, I don't necessarily have to fit into a mold because there are so many new professions coming up, like from legal designer to legal engineer to mm. project managers, you know, all these things that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. And that now, if you're, you want to transition into those kind of ways of delivering legal services, it is possible. So that's another change I'm saying, like you're allowed to be a different lawyer and there are more and more like small law firms, like boutique style, mm. being created, incorporating new ways, incorporating more technologies, serving different clients that were not served before. Like if you're working and you know this because of your background and everyday work, but if you're working with startups, they don't really want the traditional lawyers we're used to see. They want lawyers that speak their same languages. So it allows us to be different and to be more genuine. And I don't have to put my lawyer mask anymore. I can be <laughs> myself and do a legal job. You know, that that's also a very big shift for me. So I think on, on both of those points, so I think the creativity part is so important and it is being surfaced in so many different ways, not just least because more and more lawyers and people that work in law firms or any other professional service are taking note of, you know, how important it is to be creative, to be personable. I think gone are the days of, you know, all lawyers have to wear suits all the time. I yeah. think clients appreciate and want someone with a personality, someone they can form a human connection with. And uh, there's obviously the insurgence of design thinking, as you know, you exemplified and you did a design thinking course and so on. And that's very important because, you know, we're moving into a world where, clients are dictating, look, we have a, a plethora of choices. You have to be able to work with us, talk our language, help us understand, let's get rid of the jargon and keep things simple. I think a lot of that is being driven by the globalization, right? Being able to connect and work across not just jurisdictions, because as you said, there are some limitations to you have to practice law for a specific state or country or whatever it might be, but doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be somewhere else in order to do that. And actually being able to work with clients across the world really easily, it seems silly to say this in 2019, but it's actually making a big impact now because I know legal is a little bit behind in, in this compared to other industries. And both of those things are really driving up both competition and it's also creating brand new practice areas, right? You have specific fintech lawyers, you have specific crypto lawyers, you have startup lawyers, all of these things existed. And now you're starting to get a lot of sub niches within these where people are going really deep into being an expert in, I don't know, like food tech law or something like that. Right. So if you think about it's actually a thing, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so these things are becoming very, very important. And actually it's the lawyers and the law firms that are really embracing them and are going head first and just saying, look, we'll take a chance on these. Those are the law firms that are starting to come, come to the top. And actually the lawyers that aren't being supported by law firms, they're going elsewhere or they're going to, you know, being sort of independent consultant working for the likes of, you know, legal zoom and so on in the U S at least. And mm-hmm. yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that now. Absolutely. I think you hit right spot on when you said simple, you know, there's a simplifying trend that's so powerful I feel like sometimes when you're a lawyer, you forget who your client is. Mm -hmm. You forget that you're serving ultimately your client's needs and you get caught up on this legal language and the way everything has been done before. And you don't realize there might be a way more simple manner of approaching your work, of delivering your work that's Mm -hmm. 
10 times more efficient. And that's the kind of things we're embracing right now. And I think that's super cool. So yeah. And and I remember from researching ahead of this this conversation, please correct me if I'm wrong. One of the things I read or heard or found out somewhere is during your practicing days, one of the secondments you had was on a client side. Did that have, you know, what kind of impact did that have for you? And did that change your experience and perception when you came back into practice from the law firm side? That probably was the most critical moment in for me to become the kind of lawyer I am right now. So that was 2015, I was at Nike and it was like going back to law school or university college. Let's put it that way. Like people were wearing sports wear everywhere, sneakers everywhere, cap and I was like so shocked because the culture itself <laughs> was so different right. from everything else I was used to. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I held maybe 75% of my meetings as at Starbucks or other cafeterias that were in there. So I was almost never in my office. I had to deal with clients that were super business savvy, but might not be that uh, familiar with legal content. So I needed to adjust my language, the way I explain legal issues so that I could really become a partner to them and a partner that empowered them to make the right business solution. I could not hide anymore behind an email saying, these and these and these are the options. You go, you climb and you figure it out. (laughs) And realizing that it was like eye-opening and I realized everything I had been doing wrong until that point. It's not like I was a bad lawyer before, but maybe I wasn't listening enough or empathizing enough with my clients' needs. So that was a turning point. And after that, I realized this has to change. So that was, I think, the first seed into this innovation journey. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think I know others who, who've had some similar experiences and generally viewing something from, you know, from the opposing, opposing side does make a big difference, not in just the position you take generally, but just being able to empathize a little bit, get a better understanding and seeing people's reaction when you explain something in simple language versus jargon. Also seeing the pressures they are faced with, Mm. like you don't realize when you're only working on a law firm that actually in-house counsels or other business directors are faced to a lot of pressures that are very different from the pressures you're facing. Mm. So you don't want to be the guy that's putting the... (laughs) The stakes so that things can happen. Yeah, sure. Everything everything looks, you know, it, it's very easy to be me, me, me when you're stuck in an office and you're getting a lot of clients demanding things of you all the time. It's hard to sometimes, it's easy to forget, I suppose, where when you're thinking, actually, they're probably getting the same pressures from their clients, right? It's a cycle. And I suppose uh, you mentioned at the start that you've been, you know, it sounds like you have a fantastic, fantastic life. You've been traveling around the world, going to all these cool events. I know you were at Stanford Codex recently as well. So I suppose with a, with that, as well as, you know, your, your teaching and sort of, you know, speaking to, I guess, the lawyers of tomorrow, if I can be so cliched, what kinds of things are you noticing? Because I I suppose, and I've never been to Stanford Codex, right? So I'm assuming they have, you know, all the all the startups and, you know, all these sort of bright-eyed, wishy-tailed students who have the ideas for how to solve the legal problems of tomorrow. So what kinds of things are you noticing compared to when you think back to your practicing days? What are some of the differences? This is actually a 
the second year I've been to Stanford College and it was so, so cool. I really loved it, especially because a lot of people that are interested in legal tech attend Stanford. So I think it's a great place to meet face-to-face people that you've been following or messaging with or talking to through social media this year. They had representatives from Singapore, Australia, and a lot of places. So that's very cool in that sense. And also the other thing I want to say that I don't know about this great outlook in life. I always think that you cannot compare someone's outside life with your inside life because believe it or not, there are so many struggles that come with trying to trailblaze through an industry that's extremely conservative. So mm-hmm. nothing's perfect. I love the path I've chosen, but it comes with some sacrifices. Making a living out of that allows you to be flexible in the legal world is not a given. So that is just something to bear in mind for anyone that's considering taking this kind of uh, lifestyle too. As for the new students, it's very interesting. I love talking to them because over the years, and I've been teaching maybe for seven years now, you can really see how their mindset has changed. So I see they are very, very involved, very radical in that they want to make an impact. Mm. So before, I think more and more generation, when we were at law school, we were thinking more about success, make it to partnership, go, you know, a lot of money. I don't know. And now I think the startup culture has caught on also law students and they're thinking more like, let's make an impact. How can I create my own startup? How can I make greater access to justice? Not to say that they don't care about making a lot of money or being successful, but the success they're after is a little bit different than the idea of success that I had when yeah. I was possible. And I think probably because, and you know, when I studied law as well, it was, and if I think back to a lot of my friends and fellow students, it was very much a prescribed path, right? You go to law school, you go to a law firm, you work at a law firm, you make partner, you retire pretty happy. That was kind of the (laughs) the cheery-eyed view everyone had, right, from the outside. As you said, things on the inside aren't always the same. But that, that was kind of the path and... I think over the last couple of years, as you, as you pointed out, people have, you know, we've had an explosion in both startups and legal tech companies, as well as investments in startup and legal tech companies. And certainly in the last two years, there's been a significant sort of triple digit percentage growth in investment in legal tech. And mm-hmm. that means that the lawyers who, because I think part of the reason so many, especially in the UK and certainly the US, so many students are desperate to get into a law firm is they all exit law schools with a huge amount of debt, right? So they want to go and at the very least repay the debt, but they also want to put their legal training into practice. And I think now they're seeing that actually there's another way to do that, as you're saying, right? So it's really refreshing to see, frankly, and it's good that there is an alternative path because you know, the 100,000 students that go to law schools, not all of them are going to be able to practice and certainly go into big law for sure, and even small law. I know. And it's, Big Law was, to me, a great place to get trained and to learn the profession. But obviously, it's not for everyone. And there's a lot of diversity. And I truly believe on multiple opportunities. I generally, from the heart, believe 
that this is the one of the greatest times to be a lawyer. You're able to do things that never before could we have dreamed of being able to do. I am seeing change. I have to say, like, at first I was a little bit skeptical, but I am seeing more and more traditional law firms uh, concerned and thinking maybe we do have to make some adjustments because otherwise we will have a lot of trouble bringing the brightest talent to work for us. So this is happening. And how, how do you think, and you talked on, you know, so with your work with the technologist, you talked a little bit about utilizing or at first educating people about legal tech and then sort of helping law firms or practices really utilize these projects uh, and make it their own. You know, how are you either working with your clients or so on with, with that, or how are you seeing that this can happen? Because I, I suppose one of the one of the other challenges will be for law firms or even in-house is actually attracting these these youngsters and these sort of fresh law school graduates or actually those seasoned professionals who want actually something a bit more or something a bit more of a challenge that's not just going into an office and that's not what law is, but you know, for some it may feel like that. So how do you think they can actually equip their businesses and solve those problems for to attract the best talent? To me, in-house lawyers are the cornerstone of transformation in the legal industry. And I think those are the guys that are really pushing forward change in so many ways because they're kind of like in a sandwich. If you can say like on the one hand, they have their CEOs, the CFOs telling them, you know, you need to be more efficient. We need to have a smaller budget or expenses in outside councils. There's technology out there that we can that we are using in other parts of our business to improve our processes. Why is legal not embracing these changes? And on the other hand, they have their traditional law firms of whoever is advising them on the outside that's not necessarily keeping up with change. So they are in a situation where they have to really understand what's out there, what the sector has to offer right now, and tell their providers, hey, if you're not willing to change, if you're not willing to embrace new systems, I'm very sorry, but I'll have to move on and get legal services from someone else. So what I'm seeing a lot while talking to people is like legal tech and legal innovation is still a small part of the market. And we mm-hmm. cannot fool ourselves in thinking that everyone is sold in this idea because it's not true. But that percentage is growing. So that's also one of the missions and why I decided to create content because I have plenty of sections in my in my website. And you know what's the number one section that's being read the most? What's that? Legal tech basics. Oh, really? I was shocked at first because I thought, <laughs> yeah. okay, maybe they want some more advanced how AI is working. No, they want to understand what AI can do for them, what blockchain is, mm. how, you know, which providers out there, how do I, one of the, the posts we have that is the most read also is, I want to implement legal tech in my in-house team. How do I do it? Mm. Where do I start? Those kind of things are very appealing to clients and to lawyers right now because it's difficult not to be overwhelmed. Mm. And I'm trying to bridge that gap. I spend my whole day on legal tech issues so that I can go back to lawyers that are team leaders or their in-house counsels and tell them this and this and this might be the tools you need so that you can make a change 
that creates an impact that's tangible and you can get back to your board or whoever your supervisor is and tell them, I've made these changes and this is the result I'm getting. And we're very early on in the process, but I think that bit of understanding how technology can help them is very necessary because we still have a lot of lawyers out there that are still lukewarm with using digital signature softwares. And I'm like, I cannot believe we're talking about having AI judges and they're still not embracing (laughs) digital signature, which doesn't make sense to me at all. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, looking at your website, I think actually it pretty well encapsulates at a high level, the things that all lawyers and all sort of law departments in-house or otherwise, as well as anyone interacting with them should be aware of, right? And that is things like legal tech basics. It's about disruptive technology. It's about making a social impact, access to justice. You know, how do you actually focus on smart law and digital transformation, all of those sort of subheadings that you have on the site, I think are very, very poignant in, in what's to come and what is happening right now. And it's really, I think the point you made about the in-house lawyers being the cornerstone of transformation, I think is so interesting. I, I would add to that to say something you mentioned earlier as well, which is beyond that, actually the other transformative piece that we're seeing, at least at least I'm seeing in law firms is most of the law firms are gearing up and doing a good job preparing for the future now, doing so now, have some sort of innovation strategy. And it's important to separate out innovation from legal tech because they do overlap, but they're separate things. And second, a lot of those firms also have these new and frankly unique roles, right? Some of which probably didn't exist, certainly in legal Uh, like a legal engineer and all of these other things. And they're starting to actually segment out their law firm with these, with these knowledge experts and these, you know, very niche experts that can help really push the boundaries so they can start doing experimentations in small areas. Yes. Yes, for sure. We have great law firms out there that are are doing all the right things that are creating special innovation labs mm-hmm. to test ideas. So we're we're seeing change across the board for sure. And I think there's this is only going to increase. And obviously law firms also have a big role to play in all of this. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your website. And firstly, <laughs> I suppose the first question is, so I was browsing the site in the past and a lot of it is in Spanish. <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't speak Spanish like me, just as a heads up, you can use Google Translate or actually on your browser, Google will just translate it for you. That's how I read it. But is the focus for you then to focus primarily on the Spanish speaking market for the moment and then expand out from there? Or what's the thinking behind it? Yeah, we're a really small team, as I was Mm. telling you before, and we had to make a strategic choice on what what resources we had and what we could achieve first. I'm Spanish and I feel like I had a duty with people that might not be as lucky as I was to go to the States and have this international exposure. Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of it is in Spanish because I'm trying to pay back not only to people, to lawyers in Spain, but also lawyers all across Latin America that Mm -hmm. are eager to learn more about legal innovation and stuff. So that's why you will see right now we have probably 80% of our content in Spanish. 
but yeah. our English content is growing. We make partnerships with a lot of lawyers here in the US, uh, UK, Singapore, and we try to keep the global perspective. So for me, it is very, very important to have this diversity in roles and in the voices we bring to the website because I'm writing a lot of the articles, but also we do so many interviews and we have guest posts. So it's Mm. not a single-minded website that we're trying to build. Eventually, our goal is to have all our content, both in English and in Spanish, 100%. We're Mm. getting there. I'm not 100% sure about the timeline, but I'm hoping that probably within the next six months, we'll be able to get there. And I would say, even though 80% of the content is in Spanish, it is worth sort of, I suppose, chancing with Google Translate or whatever your translation service of choice might be, because some of the some of the articles are absolutely fantastic. I think I obviously haven't read all of them. I'd be lying if I said so, but I think so. the one that sort of took, that caught my attention, or a couple of them actually, one was around sort of, you know, the, the keys to be the head of legal innovation, the article who that I actually sent to a couple of family members who are interested in law, which is around the university map. I think those, you know, which universities around the world are teaching legal tech. And I think there was another one around just summarizing some of your, some of the events you've been to in the past, right? So I think Codex was one of them for sure. But I think those, even though they were in Spanish, Google Translate did a really good job and I got a lot out of it. So by no means is that a barrier. And hopefully as your team grows over, over the next couple of months and years, and then you can add more English content. But I would say from a personal point of view, my other job, my full-time gig, Latin America certainly is seeing an explosion in the adoption of legal technology. I think, you know, much like sort of Singapore and Asia Pacific, I think Latin America is also very readily adopting technology and different ways of working. And I think that's a good area to focus on and good region in the world to serve as well for you. Yeah, as I was saying, I think, thank you for bringing it up. And I'm so glad that you like our articles. By no means we have a Spanish-focused content in the mm-hmm. sense that we're we're expanding this global perspective. And I totally agree with the Latin American focus. I think they're doing an amazing job, like Mexico and fintech. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing what they're doing, Peru as well. I mean, Argentina. I meet with lawyers and legal professionals from all over the world. And it's great to see that they're so many people interested in this area and and making advancements and ready to change, which is like mindset. We haven't discussed mindset in depth, but I think mindset is such an important key to this whole process too. And we're seeing a transformation of mindset. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that's probably the biggest change, right? For those looking to make a change within the organization, within your businesses. I think that's probably the good place to start, right? Take a stab at, you know, what what is the mindset, the average mindset across the organization? Are they willing to change? Are they excited to change? Is there hesitation amongst the lawyers? And no doubt there will be hesitation. But how do you start changing that mindset slowly by slowly? And then you can get into a snowball effect before you can bring on wider changes for sure. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, this has been fantastic. I can keep talking to you on a whole plethora of topics and I'm mindful of your time. So I guess for anyone who wants to find out more about the technologist or about you, what are the best places to find out? And, you know, if you have any ask of the audience as well, then please, please ask away. So I would say the best way to reach me out is uh, send me a message through LinkedIn. I'm super happy to talk with anyone interested in legal innovation, lawyers or thinking about getting into law. 
I get a lot of messages and I try to, to get back to everyone. So that would be the best. Also, if you want to take a chance and look at the technologies, we're trying to put together the best possible content to inspire as um, many lawyers out there. If you're interested in change and transformation and what's new in this sector, I'm sure that you will enjoy the content very much. It's such an exciting time. And honestly, this has been such a great conversation. I feel it's just so awesome that we're able to connect and see that we share so many of the, our perspective on what's going on and just learn from each other. It's really great. Yeah. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you. So I'll link to your LinkedIn. And by the way, for anyone listening, this is how, that's actually how Isabella and I connected on LinkedIn. We don't know each other. <laughs> other than that, uh, so she certainly does respond to messages and I'll link to the website as well. And thank you again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And congratulations on the awesome work you're doing making a podcast it's really difficult it takes a lot of time you're putting together great interviews so um, you know kudos to you you're doing a great job too thank you so kind and i couldn't do it without wonderful guests like you so thank you thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the fringe legal podcast before you go i have a huge favor to ask you if you enjoyed the show please consider leaving a review on itunes It'll take less than a minute and really helps others find the podcast. Meanwhile, you can find the show notes and resources from the episode on our website at podcast.fringelegal.com. That's podcast.fringelegal.com. See you next time.